0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly name dindy dindy dong, come <laughs> on. Into Messi, And I will love it if we beat them.
1: Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney.
0: Aguero. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kearney. My guest for today is Doug LaMoff, and our topic is improving teaching, communication, and organization in a training session. Doug is a teacher and teaching mentor. He's an author of a few phenomenal books, Teach Like a Champion, Reading Reconsidered, Practice Perfect. He studies high-performing teachers and teaches coaches and teachers how to use effective techniques and skills in the classroom and in different environments as well he talks about preparation utilizing staff making an impact without continually stopping the sessions and evaluating player and coach performances after the session i also asked Doug for some advice and guidance on areas that i really really want to improve specifically in my own coaching as well This episode of the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast is once again sponsored by Total Football Analysis Magazine. They're a digital magazine for all soccer fans, coaches, managers and analysts. If you're looking for more detail than a match report but don't want to get bogged down in numbers and stats that make no sense, this is the magazine for you. February's Total Football Analysis Magazine has just gone on sale and you can pick up 135 pages of pure football tactical analysis that includes gian piero gasparini on his continuous improvement with atalanta arthur Mello, and is he really the new Xavi? timothy weah the american thriving at celtic and coaching exercises defend the counter-attack like pep you can buy each magazine individually or take out a monthly subscription which come with some added extras and you can get 10% off all annual subscriptions by entering the code Coach at checkout head over to totalfootballanalysis.com slash magazine to get yours today highly recommend it folks i love the magazine takes me a couple of weeks to get through it right enough because it's so detailed and, and in depth and really really enjoy it loads of animations loads of things for coaches as well that i really enjoy about it that it ties into training sessions so yeah looking forward to this month and i've got every magazine so far up until now and yeah highly recommend it so here we go training sessions coaching doug lamoff enjoy doug thanks so much for joining me today on the modern soccer coach podcast really excited to have you on
1: me as well i'm glad to be with you thanks gary
0: i wanted to to be real specific in the title here and you know how to make training sessions better starting with the planning process and you know a lot of this is from my own perspective so planning the sessions exercises are where most of us put our focus Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until your actual your conversation with dan abrams on his podcast that i realized how often i was in with my staff that wasn't ever part of my planning was how to empower them in terms of them coaching rather than picking up cones so (laughs) how, how can we empower and utilize our staff more
1: yeah, I think it's a great question because there's so much talent on our staffs and uh, and often waiting to be utilized. And the more you utilize them, the more gratified they are, the happier they are, the more they you know. It's a virtuous cycle. I was thinking of, I was thinking about this, and I think a couple of things that I would probably want to think about. Generally, I think one of the most powerful things that you can do as a coach from a planning perspective is to. Before the training session starts, anticipate errors and plan out an exemplar, which is, I think we're really familiar with most of the activities that we run. We tend to run them a lot, Uh, but I still think it's worth thinking through not just what's the activity that I'm doing, but what does excellence look like? What What is my goal for players to do during the activity, right? So we're building out of the back and I have an exercise that I do for building out of the back that I do over and over again, but I think taking the time to write down and really write down and not just talk about what are the what are the four or five most important things that we should be doing when we're building out of the back so we're not just completing the exercise, but we're completing it with a standard of excellence is important. And the second step would be, and then anticipating the errors. What are the things we're likely to get wrong if we do a B plus version of it? What are the things, where are the places we're likely to fall down? And I think that this is an ideal place to involve your assistant coaches for two reasons. I think They'll see things that you might not see, and will have ideas for uh, that are key. But then when the session starts, one of the main things I want my I might want my assistants to do is to be gathering data. Uh, how are players doing? So if we decide there are four things that we have to do to make sure that we're building out of the back effectively, now my assistant coaches know what things to look for, and I can pause and say, great, what are you seeing? Because we've kind of decided in advance what we're looking for. So I can really solicit their input more intentionally because we've decided what we're all watching for in in an aligned kind of way. And then to the degree that they're making live comments to players and you know, saying to things, things to players individually while they're playing, they're more likely to be productive comments because they'll be aligned to the goal, right? We've decided that one of the keys when we're building out of the back is we have to make sure that, you know, every ball is struck at pace on the ground. And since we've decided that's one of our priorities now, they're more likely to comment on that as opposed to, you know, the assistant talking about something that's totally different from what I want to get out of the one what I want to get out of the exercise
0: in that planning process should we be looking specifically more towards individuals and or do you think it's all collective that's acceptable is it attainable and where's the balance there
1: yeah that's great I, I'd imagine it's, it's some of both that there are group things we all need to do that we want to look for as a team but to go back to the example, of building out of the back, you know, there are different things I want to see from my center backs and my from my number six and my wide backs. So, um, and maybe I, I also have an individual player who's likely to make a, a specific mistake, and I think that might be a great thing for an assistant to do. Which is generally, as the head coach, I'm looking for the four key things that we, you know, that we that we're working on. The, what we've decided is excellence. But I can ask my assistant. I really want you to keep an eye, on David, building out of the back. He's likely to do this and, you know, really want you to give him constant reinforcement on this point. So I think that's a, that's maybe a way to, I think the short answer to your question is both, which is hard, but I think a great role for an assistant is to focus on one, you know, one player and one task and really, really stay on them. You know, I think that, um, the learning comes in the repetition from doing it right. So having a player really get constant, you know, you can't attend to at what every player is doing at all times during every activity. But if there's someone who I know has something I want them to work on, I can really ask one of my assistants to lock in on that and pay attention to that specifically.
0: As sports science has grown and awareness has been increased, Mm -hmm. the challenge has now been presented for coaches about with certain training loads and with certain goals, especially at the highest levels where the data is being collected. As a coach, you don't want to come into the session because it may directly impact the physical objectives if you come in a couple of times. So mm-hmm. what are the best ways for a coach to impact a session without directly coming in five or six times?
1: Yeah, I think if you're, if you're, in other words, you don't want to break the session and disrupt the intensity of it by talking and therefore having it be downtime for players physically. That's, that's, the, that's the challenge. Yes. Yeah, I think I guess in that situation, the first thing that I'd be thinking about was being really explicit before the training session and framing some shared vocabulary, which is uh if I'm if I don't want to stop to teach to teach and explain things to players or reinforce things during I would explain to them before this is what we're gonna be working on. We're gonna be uh pressing. These are the most important things for pressing. And then I think it's key if I'm gonna be I think therefore I'm likely to be talking to them while they're playing it's hard to communicate a lot while players are playing and so we have to make sure that we understand the same vocabulary beforehand and not just vocabulary for to describe the game but the cues that we're going to use so i might you know if i see you doing x i'll tell you you know if you hear stretch it means make sure you're going you know, to do the following things If you hear width, let's do the following things if you hear compress, like i think i'd want to review with the players beforehand not only the, what we're trying to accomplish but the cues they might hear that would tell them that they're doing it well or struggling with it so that i get more sure vocabulary allows me to teach more efficiently in any situation so i'd, I'd want them to understand exactly what I, was, what I was going to say to them i don't think i can teach very well during live play but i can remind players of things during live play the thing i'd probably be thinking about is assuming that i, I may have to stop a few times to teach a concept i'd also be thinking about how How can I, you know, there are constant breakages for non-valuable reasons. So I'd also be thinking about how can I engineer my session so that if we do stop, it's high value as opposed to we stop because um, the ball is out of play or players are confused about what to do and I have to break in to just explain the activity to them. And so, you know, and, you know, John Wooden is sort of famous for this uh, placement of the balls on the basketball court so that there was never a second of downtime and no one ever had to run more than you know more than five feet for a ball so you know i just think that the mundane details of making sure i and my assistants are always ready with the equipment and a ball goes back into play immediately so i so i don't lose my training load for mundane reasons and then if i if you know if we do break the break the physical intensity of training it's for a high value learning reason
0: i had a conversation with a coach last week had a good debate about pre-practice meetings something that, that i really value and then he was he questioned it and then once he started putting his point across i thought yeah you got me got me thinking about that there i believe that it it basically gave the players the session plan the times of the exercises it, it mapped out exactly what we would be doing and why so it helped operationally but he felt that that then presented you know this is exactly what we're going to do and the game presents different types of challenges what's your thoughts on this and the best way to approach it i'm not sure that I, that i that there is a right answer or that certainly that i
1: that i know it i think i'm inclined to be more i'm inclined to be more transparent with players um tell them what we're trying to accomplish or what decisions i want them to make or what cues i want them to be looking at even if i'm Even if I, it sounds like what your colleague was saying is I want players to be able to react to the game and make decisions for themselves and not know that, not have someone tell me beforehand the decisions I want to make, I want them to make. But I think you could still say, you could still prepare them for the types of situations, the principles of play that we're using. I think you could i'd still want to ensure their attentiveness to most important things because i think i would i would honestly do the same thing during the game i think you'd be unlikely to go into a game not giving players any guidance about what you're trying to do tactically so you know again i don't know that there's a there's one right answer i think you know cultures are different and if there is a right answer i'm I'm not i'm sure i'm not the guy who knows it but my, my gut is i tend to think that players learn better when we're transparent with them about what we're trying to accomplish for the most part so i I like the idea of a pre-practice meeting
0: brings us on nicely uh you said learning there the difference between teaching and learning can you explain this and then how it applies to training
1: yeah i think it's both parts of the cycle teaching happens let's say you're uh you break your practice briefly and you explain to players tactically something that you want to do that's teaching but the learning really happens afterwards in the application, which is you want uh, you want one of your players to press higher and get into a passing lane, right? You explain that to him. Uh, that's teaching, but he hasn't learned it yet until there are four or five situations in which he successfully does it and understands whether he's done it or not. And so I think coaches need to be really attentive to what happens after they teach something because that's when the learning happens. So one of the one of the things that I noticed most about training sessions is a coach will will make a point during a stoppage. Live play will continue and he'll be sort of calling comments out to players in real time and they won't be aligned to the topic that he addressed in the stoppage right So the stoppage was uh, we've got to create more width uh, you know uh, we've got to create more width in this situation. we need to be all the way out of the touch line. Play begins great ball, David, you know, super hustle, yeah, great vision there. Like none of those comments are related to whether we are successfully getting wide or not. And so aligning live feedback might sound focusing more on really, first of all, looking for in every situation, are we wide? And, and then saying, yes, that's wide, that's the width we want. Or still wider, so that players know how they're doing in trying to operationalize the teaching that we did and also know that the teaching is important and the expectation is that when, we, when I stop training to talk to you about something for a minute, that's a big deal. And so I expect you for the next 10 minutes to really focus on using it and applying it because the 10 minutes after the teaching point is when the learning will really happen.
0: Great task to focus as well for a coach, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the challenges of coaching, which is you are overwhelmed by the complexity. There's so much going on at once. It's so easy to be distracted. And to try and, uh, as a colleague of mine in New Zealand rugby said, try and chase five rabbits, right? You're trying to reinforce five things at once, and it ends up being scattered. And it's often faster to really focus on one thing intent, you know, intently for five or ten minutes and make sure that players have got it before you go on to the next thing. And ultimately, you make more progress by doing one thing at a time. So I think, you know, you make a stoppage. The first thing you should be thinking about is I have to self-discipline myself to provide consistent reinforcement on how we're doing it, the thing I just told them was important enough to stop training to do. Uh, And even then stop stop them again if they're still not doing it or to tell them that they've they've done it well or to tell them live, but not to go on to be distracted by all the other things that are in my mind that I want to talk about. I think one of the best tools you can have is, you know, it's hard for me to imagine coaching in a situation as complex as, as, soccer, as a soccer training session without writing some, some things down. So you notice a player doing something that's important to talk about, but it's nothing that you just made a stoppage to teach them. So I want to write it down so I remember to come back to it later. But if I come back to it right then, in some ways, I'm distracting them from the, the teaching point, from the linkage that you pointed out between teaching and learning, which is I really want you to focus on doing this this one thing that we just talked about.
0: This is the million-dollar question. How yeah. should a coach best judge the success of a training session?
1: I think there are two ways, to, two ways to think about this. One is I think I want I want to go back to this idea of exemplar planning and being re- really clear about what excellence looks like to me beforehand. So we're not just doing the training activity, but we're doing it with a standard of excellence so that I can look for it and see it and really gather data while we're playing and whether we're doing it. But I think then the second challenge is that um, most of what, we've learned in our lives, we've forgotten. Uh, And our players are the same. And if you want any further proof of this, you don't have kids wait 15 years and uh, try and help them with their homework. Um, The problem with learning is that just because players get it right at the end of the session and seem to understand it does not mean they'll understand it in three days, in five days, in seven days, in a month. That as soon as we learn something, the battle against forgetting begins. And so I think when I think about the effectiveness about my training sessions, I want to think about whether I got execution to a really high standard of mastery in that session, but then I need to make sure that I come back to it and um, engage in what I would call a, a retrieval practice, which is doing the, um, repeating the session, coming back to that set of skills several times over the course of days or weeks or months to make sure that it's, players don't just know how to do it, but it's embedded in long-term memory. Because I think if you want to use it in the game, it has to be in your long term memory. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, as soon as we learn something to battle against, forgetting begins. And I just think the coaches overlook that so often. They see players doing it well at the end of one session. They think, right, great, we've got it. We've got pressing. We're pressing really well. As soon as you leave that session, knowledge
0: of pressing starts to decay. Yeah, so true. So true. From a personal standpoint and my, my own journey, I really want to move sessions from intensity of players working hard physically towards mm. players working hard mentally. Uh, what are the best ways for me to do this?
1: I think it's a, it's, it's a great question. And I think about working hard mentally in a couple of different ways. Um, I think, one, I, I want to socialize players. To, I want to build a culture of attentiveness so that players are always at a high level of alertness and awareness on the field. It could mean that I challenge them with, you know, really challenging constraints when you're playing. It doesn't involve my asking them any questions, but it's just, you know, I give them, I give them constant challenges that force them to be alert and aware by changing things. The field is narrower this time. The field is wider this time. The field is shorter. But I also think that, um, you know, most coaches that I know use questioning as a way to, engage players mentally and they think a lot about their questions but i think oftentimes those questions are undone by some the quality of the questions are undone by the environment in which they're asked in other words i stop and ask questions and it's the same three players answering the questions with the first thing that comes to the top of their heads over and over again and so even the very best question in the world is not going to build a strong mental environment for players that causes them to constantly be engaged unless I build a situation where every player feels like they have to answer every, does answer every question, feels like they have to answer a question, every question, are accountable for every question. So, and I think the reason why you get this situation, coach asks a question, saying two or three players call answers out at the top of their heads is because coaches aren't clear on how they want players to answer. Um so as so for example as soon as i as soon as i set the expectation that it's fine to call out an answer to my question then i can't insert any wait time which causes players to think more deeply right they're going to say the first thing off the top of their heads and as soon as i build a culture where two or three players are answering then the other eight or nine players who are less verbal come to think i'm not going to have to answer anyway because these three guys are going to answer Right? so i'm checked out so i can check out i don't have to really be accountable so a couple of tools that i think are important are I think cold calling is really powerful, which is uh, I set the expectation with my players that I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask by name, specific players, whether or not they've volunteered to answer the question, to answer a question when I pause, pause, where should the number six be? Maybe I, you know, so this is a question that either ideally I want my number six to answer so I say, Carlos, where should you be? Or maybe I need my number eight to understand where my number six is. So great. Um, Jose, where should Carlos be? Where should the number six be? Great. And what does that mean? How does that mean you react? Great. And Trevor, what does that mean you need to do? So the idea that anyone can be asked a question, asked to answer a question at any time, gives me a different relationship to questions on my team. It means I have to be ready. I have to be thinking every time the coach answers a question. So everyone is answering in their heads. Similarly, sometimes when I ask a question and I don't get any answers, I get blank stares, the coach will then jump in by answering the question himself. And I think a great move there is to say, right, turn and talk to the person next to you, 20 seconds. Where should the number six be? And why? Go. Uh, 20 seconds to talk. Great. Pause. What did you talk about? What did you decide? Where should the number six be? Carlos, David, James. Um, So I think building that culture of mental accountability is really critical if I'm going to try and use questions. The best question in the world is only so good if only one or two people answer it.
0: Yeah, I love that. That building a culture of attentiveness and mental accountability I'll answer it. I think I know what you're going to say. Is it healthy then for every single training session to be mentally challenging? Or do I, as a coach, ever need to worry about mental fatigue?
1: I think that's a really good question and an important question to ask. And I would say you're probably right that the optimal... Well, first of all, I think there are different, there are different types of mental challenge. I think I always want my players to be attentive when they're on the field. So I want to focus them... Uh, I want them to be alert and aware of perceptive cues do they that's different from conscious thinking and being prepared to answer questions i think there are times when i want my players just to like uh play with first of all i want them to play with sheer joy mm-hmm. uh and just in, you know and love competition and i think that's a really important part of building a culture on a team so there are sometimes when i just want them to compete and i don't necessarily want them to think deeply i think when i need them to learn something and change the way that they play the game Or develop the way that they play the game. Then I really want to stress. I want to build a really a culture that is as much about mental hustle and engagement as it is about physical engagement. But there are also times when we're not actively trying to like install something new or learn something new. We're trying to um, learn to be competitive. We're learning to play for joy. We're learning to just you know we're learning to play as we will in a game where we're not. We're not actively thinking about problem solving and not uh, we're engaged in a different way mentally. So I think it's probably a balance. Um, the earlier of state, the earlier that players are in learning something, the more complex what they're learning, the more it's absolutely critical that there's a, a culture of mental engagement and I, and I that's, that's actively built. And I think that probably feeds into a culture that, have, that socializes players to be attentive when they're, uh, when they're playing in a less conscious way but players are not particularly conscious about what they're doing when they're you know, in the midst of a game. They're making decisions that are so fast, they don't really have time to make active decisions about it. It's really a matter of
0: habit. So there are times when I just
1: want to let them build their habits. Mm.
0: In your book, Teach Like a Champion, you talk about avoiding the pitfall of, a, of yes and no questions mm. when talking to players. And yeah. Oh suck. Like I read it and I'm like, oh, I'm so guilty of that there. <laughs> um can you give coaches advice on on just how to ask better questions and then how to improve engagement?
1: Yeah, well I think one of the first things to watch out for is to listen to yourself. And if you say things like, is everybody clear on that? Everybody get it? We clear? It. Like that's I think that's a classic case of asking a rhetorical question. If you say everyone clear on that. Everyone's always going to nod and say yes, and I guarantee you that some, are, some players are not clear. And so planning in advance, a few, after you've discussed something, a few quick questions that you can ask to pepper them around to players to make sure they have understanding. Great. So before we start off, just make, let's make sure we understand when, when, they, when, we're, uh, when we're pressing high, what's the most important thing for the, the number nine to do, the number 11 to do? Ask those, those questions really quickly of players. 15 seconds, three questions to players. Then it, at least I'm getting a sample of like, do they do they seem to understand as opposed to just relying on their self-report. Self-report is almost always unreliable. So I think that's a simple case of where we fall back on yes and no questions. We're basically telling ourselves this would be a great time to check for understanding, but I don't really have time to do it. So I'll just ask guys whether they understand, and they'll nod at me and they'll say they do. Um, and oftentimes that's um, you know that becomes that becomes a dead end. But then I think, you know, I think a key thing is to. Uh, we often try to think of our questions on the spur of the moment, and a really healthy habit is to is to plan in advance three or four questions that I think will become critical. Even if I don't use them, it helps the quality of my questions become higher. And then building that in the fabric of like, of I just I socialize my players to understand that when I'm asking a question, anyone could be called on to answer it, and so they have to be ready, and they have to be attentive, and they have to be locked in and really listening carefully.
0: You've written about correcting instead of critiquing. Can you explain the difference and why coaches should be aware of it?
1: Yeah, I think it goes back to your question about the difference between teaching and learning. So players do something incorrectly. I stop them and I explain what they did incorrectly. I've taught them, but they haven't learned it. If I want them to learn it, I have to do it over again and do it better. So rather than just saying, um, stop, pause. We played back into pressure there. Right? We have to play, we have to play wide there, we have to play around, we have to play around pressure. Um, the, the, the learning happens when I say, great, let's play the, let's take the ball back to where David had the ball. Let's play from the situation. Show me how you play out of the pressure. Great, yes, that's better, right? So then I, when I give players the chance to fix their previous behavior, to do it, cor- to do it correctly, that's, um, that's correction and that's building their learning critiquing them, telling what they did wrong without giving them the opportunity to do it over again and do it better. Um, I guess you could say it's a teaching without learning. I think that's, uh, that's just a pitfall that I think a lot of coaches fall into. If you're going to stop to tell them what they did wrong, give them the, the chance to learn to do it right.
0: Another quote from your book, when, a, when all students engage in thoughtful writing for a sustained period of time, your levels of rigor and participation are both high should coaches be implementing support structures that challenge or encourage players to reflect on every session or is that not a realistic goal in sport? Hmm.
1: It's funny. Uh, it's a great question. I've almost never been asked it. Writing is so important in the classroom and there just aren't, aren't many opportunities for players to do it on the field. But I th- I do think that, you know, there's powerful potential for players to write afterwards to reflect. I know programs that have done this, you know, like, um, uh, I know there's, there's some clubs in England that have players keep reflective journals, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I recall one coach saying, you know, you ask guys after the game, how they did and everyone played great. Um, but ask giving them specific questions to write about, right. You know, I, I think that writing would be a great tool to use with with film review, right? I don't just want you to watch, to watch the film. I want you to reflect on how you did and uh, describe three times when, describe your positioning in three different cases. It just it f- forces players to engage at the highest and most challenging level of cognition. Mm-hmm. Writing it is harder than saying it. it forces a higher level of intentionality and you have to put it carefully into words. So I think there's some real potential to do that. Um, and I think there are a lot of great players out there who, um, uh, who've kept journals throughout their careers and attribute that level of reflection to their, you know, to their, to get to the elite level, I think Yaya Toure is a great example of that. You know, I think there's a there's a guy who sustained his level of play at an excellent level and probably outperformed what people thought he would be capable of. He, uh, you know, as, as I understand it, he you know relentlessly kept a journal on his performances to reflect in writing. So, uh, so maybe there's maybe just, there's some potential there.
0: How should coaches reflect? What's the what's the best way for us to to evaluate a session? Is it by videoing ourselves? Is it by uh, reflect yeah. on the notes or is it the game on saturday or what's the best ways
1: i think video is a fantastic tool for uh, for studying your own teaching I, you know the bad news is it, it's incredibly unforgiving and uh, a session that you thought was great when you watched it on video uh look you'll see you'll see a hundred little things that you want to improve on but that's that's the path forward so i think it's really tremendous um you can also audio tape yourself you'd be surprised how much you can hear just you know Hearing the language used to players to describe things, um, how precise is my vocabulary? How uh, how negative or you know, how negative did I sound when, when telling my players I wanted to do something different? So I think that, that you know the most objective form to study your own work is in recording it, either on video or on audio. And I um, I think there are other tools that you can use, but to me that's the very the most powerful thing. I think one other thing that you can think about is most feedback comes after sessions maybe you invite someone to come watch your session and give you feedback on it. Even watching your own videos, post session feedback, feedback that comes before a session that I can use to improve my session is actually more valuable. And so if I got together with a couple of colleagues or even with my assistant coaches or with one colleague and shared my session plan and had them, um, give me suggestions and critique or ask me hard questions about my session plan and what I wanted to accomplish. And I, uh, got useful feedback before the session plan, then I can implement it in the session plan and see whether it works, see if I'm happy it. see the difference. Uh, and I think that's also a great way to improve. I think generally speaking, the planning process is undervalued as a driver of training success.
0: And then last one for you, what are the, the two or three biggest areas that coaches to improve their sessions this week? You know, give mm-hmm. us... Give us something to to look at a little bit differently or to think of and and maybe create a little bit of awareness right sure. away.
1: Maybe I'll try and throw out three quick ideas. I think the first one is um, you know thinking about this the idea of checking for understanding, which is John Wooden framed it as the difference between that I taught it and they learned it. It's very, very easy as a coach to explain something to players, have them execute, have them execute poorly and not realize it. So the first thing I would think about doing is what we we would call, what I call in in Teach Like a Champion, tracking, not watching, which is not just observing passively, but having a data tracking tool, a piece of paper on a clipboard, a note card in your pocket, where you, as your players play, observe and take notes on whether they're doing the things that you ask them to do successfully. I think what you notice is that they... um, it disciplines you to watch for specific things, and that they often are. It's less successful. It's less successful than you think. But whatever way, whatever happens, rather than being overwhelmed by the data of watching twenty guys do eight different things at a time, you start to notice whether they're accomplishing the goals. So track. So using an, an observation tracker to gather data while you're observing your own sessions is a game changer. Number two, I would say, I just want to go back to an idea that came up briefly during our conversation, which is aligning your live feedback to your stoppage feedback. When you stop a training session to say this is important to talk about, not everything you say afterwards should be about it, but, you know, six out of eight live comments, five out of eight live comments should say, I'm watching to see whether you did what we talked about. I'm giving you feedback to help you achieve it successfully. And when we talk about something, expectations that you follow through on it. I just think that that very rarely happens and it has the long-term effect of showing that if the things that, if the things that I, I say in a stoppage aren't important enough to me for me to remember them two minutes later, why would they be important players? And the last thing I think is just on coaching decision-making, I think perception is hugely, hugely underestimated that most Many of the times when a player makes a suboptimal decision, it's not because they saw all the options and chose the wrong one. It's because they didn't see the right, they didn't see all the options. And that in many cases, seeing and deciding are the same thing. So when I make a stoppage, I could ask players, what should you do? But just as good a question is, what should you look at? What What should you be noticing here? Where should your eyes go? What are the cues that tell you what you should do? Because... In many cases, I think the perception is the decision for players, especially when they're asked to make decisions quickly. Um, And so I I just think that's something that we can stress more with players if we want to develop them on the
0: thinking side. Brilliant, brilliant. Doug, thank you so much. Fantastic. Gary,
1: it's been a pleasure. Thanks
0: uh, Thanks for taking the time. Thanks so much to Doug for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, from a selfish point of view you know, I I really benefited from that and really enjoyed that conversation. What I got out of it basically was, you know, the three different times of it before the session and improving the planning and the preparation stage and not just exercises and looking at sessions, but also then planning the roles and responsibilities of staff and I don't think coaches have a problem in in preparing for training sessions for the most part. We all get there early enough and we all set the balls out, we all get the cones out but yeah maybe what everyone is doing and being a bit more intentional with those roles and responsibilities could lead to better practices. Then improving the execution during the session and a bit more intentional about the problems that we're going to face and maybe forecast those. How are we going to deal with them? The questions which we want to uncover a a different level of engagement a better level of engagement from our players and and then afterwards improving the review process yeah getting players to reflect getting coaches to reflect how we interpret success during the training session how we interpret success with our staff are we sharing those with the players as well and and just generally making those consistent and effective and improving them every week i think in soccer we measure so much data and analytics but i don't think we're being specific enough in what we want and what we need from every training session and you know as i shared there that's that's the areas that i'm looking to improve and definitely as i get more experience as a coach it's not just getting out there and driving intensity and driving energy and driving focus it's how to teach or facilitate that in the players and having them taking more ownership of the process as well which invariably involves the coach giving up a certain amount of control a large amount of control in some cases now it's something that we talked with tony annan a few weeks ago about how he became a better coach as he left more variables up to the players which is more risky and probably makes us very, very uncomfortable. But it's definitely, definitely the way to go. So love that conversation. Big thanks to Doug. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. At Gary Cranine on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Love talking about training. Love talking about the coaching during the training session, the session design, all that good stuff. So, yeah, we'd love to know what you think. As always, appreciate you listening. Check out Total Football Analysis magazine. I will be getting my copy tomorrow. So get on that there. Get the code, Modern Soccer Coach, during checkout. Have a great week. Goodbye.
1: Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the
0: website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.